This episode of Into the Wild is sponsored by Leica Sport Optics. It's 2023, a new year and a chance for you lot to try something new. And if getting closer to nature and connecting with the natural world is on your list, then there's something I think you'll need. A pair of binoculars are essential for any nature nerd's day out to make sure you don't miss anything. And Leica's range of kit is, insert chef's kiss right here. Not only are they durable, lightweight, with a great range of optics, and come with a potential finance plan, but they are dead easy to use. To read more about what Leica have to offer for sport optics, visit their website, which is linked in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild, your weekly podcast all about wildlife, conservation and nature. I'm your host, Ryan Dalton. Thanks a bunch for clicking play on the pod. Hello nerds, welcome back to another episode of Into the Wild. Ah, spring is here. It is, I don't know if it's officially here, but it's certainly 14 degrees, been sunny all week. Uh, The snowdrops are out, the crocuses are out. I saw my first bumblebee yesterday. Ah, I can't, (laughs) I can't wait i've not even had a coffee or any livener before the recording this i'm just excited about spring i also saw shout out to lucy hodson aka lucy lapwing she saw frog spawn she's found of course she has she always finds the best damn i'm excited about it right we are going to move straight on to today's show as long-term listeners of the show and well, actually even recent listeners of the show will know that we have focused um, quite a bit on Namibia over the last couple of years. We have spoken to people, community representatives, community members in Namibia and we also may be on the trigger there as well. But recently, whilst out at a mill, I met someone called Bupe Rita Banda, who's studying in Cambridge, and she is from Zambia, and she is a community representative, a part of the community-based natural resource management program in Zambia, and also a member of the Community Leaders Network across Southern Africa. So me and Bupe had a drink, had lots of chatting about conservation, about community conservation in Zambia and about kind of her experiences here in the UK so far. And I was like, I have to get Bupe on the show. I have to get Bupe on the show. I want to talk to Bupe about wildlife conservation in Zambia. So that's exactly what this episode is about. This episode is Bupe pretty much telling you everything you need to know about modern conservation, the CBRNM. And, and reminder, if you hear that acronym, the CBNRM, yeah, that's community-based natural resource management. All right, write that down just so you know. But Bupe shares all about what Zambia is like, what wildlife we can find there, what conflicts can happen with wildlife, the community conservation, what systems are currently being worked on to improve, what successes they've had. It really was a great, quick, but good overlook of Zambia and how the country is currently working. So this, uh, this, sorry, damn it. I knew I'd trip over my words. Just one of those days. This episode is Community Conservation in Zambia with Bupe Rita Banda. Well, Bupe, welcome to Into the Wild uh, podcast. How has your day been? Are you well? Thank you so much, Ryan, for hosting me. My day has been a little bit busy, but all fine. Well, let's start where we always start on the show. Do you want to tell everyone who you are and what you do? All right. So... um... My name's Wupe Banda Muhango. Uh, I was born and raised in a rural area in Zambia, not very far from the capital city, which is Lusaka, and also not very far from 
the Great Kafue National Park. So we were living within the area which is adjacent to a game management area. Nice. And um, you've been, how long have you been? To, so you're studying in Cambridge at the moment, aren't you? Yes. So um, some evolution has happened in between. I first did uh, a bachelor's degree within Zambia mm-hmm. at the University of Zambia in environmental education. And then I went on to work with the government department of National Parks and Wildlife, Frankfurt Zoological Society and the Zambian Community Resources Board Association all under a sector, I would say, community-based natural resources management. So I've been working with communities. And then last year, I got into Cambridge to pursue a Master of Philosophy in Conservation Leadership. So I started last year and um, I'll be done this year with my course. Amazing. That's so cool. So what has life been like for you, someone that's grown up in Zambia, a country that is incredibly different to England, What's it been like with your time here? What have you found hardest about living in England? And there's loads of things to pick from. Well, the first thing is the weather. <laughs> it's, it's very cold here. <laughs> it's been quite mild, Bupe. Yeah, for some some of you who were born here, it's okay, but I still have to double up the layers that I'm getting each time I'm leaving <laughs> my, my room. But generally, I feel like um, I've settled in. And for a person mm. who loves so much adventure like me, this is a great opportunity because I get to see what happens uh, mm. outside Zambia, not only in my social life or my work life, but in all aspects. And it, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's been very interesting. Are you, are you missing... Are you missing Zambia and your and your hometown? Of course, I'm missing my family, <laughs> but I know yes, I'll I mean, be done of course, very soon. your family, yeah. <laughs> so, a question we usually ask guests is, "What's been your biggest nature highlight in the last seven days?" But because you've you know you've been here studying, I'm interested to hear. Uh, so, how long did you say you've been studying in England now? Is it just about eight months? It's actually five months now. Five months. Yeah. Five months. So, in that five months, what's been your favourite wildlife moment in England? The grin on your face. (laughs) Yes. So as part of the course program that I'm doing, we Mm. had to travel to a typical British national park. So we traveled to the Norfolk Broads. Oh, nice. Yeah. I was very anxious and curious to see the British version of an elephant, (laughs) but I didn't see any. What did you see? I saw a rabbit. That's the biggest animal I saw. Get in. Get in, <laughs> mate. Rabbit at the top. <laughs> oh my yeah, God. but it was it was an amazing moment because I got to learn a lot on how conservation is mm. done here. And what's impressive is that at the end of the day, the goal is still the same, whether you're in Zambia or in the UK, it's that everybody wants to protect and conserve the world's remaining biodiversity, be it Mm. wetlands, be it bird species or big mammals that live on land. That's an interesting thing, though. So what have you thought about our methods of conservation? Are they different to how Zambia kind of has its conservation and its strategies and its structures? Is it similar or do you think like, oh, England are doing some things right or wrong? Have you had any thoughts? At this stage, I wouldn't say 
England is doing anything wrong in their approach because that's that's the model that can work here, but it's totally different from how we are doing it and practicing it in Zambia mm. and of course other neighboring countries in Southern Africa. So for instance, the the structures that are within the conservation sector, when you come to Zambia, we have um, different players from the government sector to the private sector and communities. So we have government regulators, which mm. is usually done through various departments, such as Department of National Parks and Wildlife in charge of wildlife. We have the fisheries department in charge of fisheries. The forest department looks after forests. And we have other ministries that are interlinking all these three departments in one way or another, because there's also the tourism part, heritage and sites. Then we have communities, on the other hand, who are also well organized in community-based governance structures that we call community resources boards. In abbreviation, right. we would say a CRB. So yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, this is usually done through a model that is called uh, community-based natural resources management, which is very popular in mm -hmm. uh, Southern Africa. And it has uh, seen a lot of success and achievement in ensuring that communities are participating and benefiting from uh, natural resource management. The other players we have are, of course, civil society and the big uh, international conservation NGOs. So we have the likes of WWF, we have the Nature Conservancy. Then we have those that are working under carbon trading, such as Biocarbon Partners. Mm. We have the African Parks, and we have different private sector people who are interested in just pushing the conservation agenda through local and uh, national bodies and networks amazing it's, it's you know i've looked at a few models throughout southern africa and i don't want to like group everyone as the same but although we will be talking later about how connected a lot of southern africa is with its um, strategies yeah, yeah. and approaches but i always like it and it's very motivating to hear how how many people have a hand in this as well i think that's very nice to know that it is kind of a it's a huge group effort with conservation and not just conservation it's not just to conserve it's to live off of and survive off of i, I do kind of like that it's, it's something i think i would like to see done a lot more in the U in the uk and england especially as well i think it's a very nice approach to have to connecting with nature and conserving our biodiversity that's left um yeah. so i've never been to zambia i would love to go of course i would love to go why would i not want to go tell us a bit about zambia what is the country like and what part does wildlife play in the country, both from a biodiversity or an ecosystem point of view, but also from a culture or religious point of view? So Zambia, to begin with, it's landlocked, so we don't have easy access to the sea, but we are so blessed with abundant um, wildlife, plant species, fresh waters, some wetlands, and so much diversity in terms of culture and traditions. So we have um, about 72 languages that are what, spoken. 72 languages? Yes. Jesus. But of course, out of the 72, we have seven that are major, like they mm. are widely spoken within Zambia. And then our recent census actually showed that uh, we now have about 19.7 million in total population. That's uh, for, for Zambia. That's the census that was done last year and then we have 20 national parks wow and we have 
36 game management areas. So these game management areas are like buffer zones where you actually find communities coexisting with wildlife. Actually, mm. recent statistics within the wildlife sector also shows that Zambia's remaining wildlife population, about 75% of it is actually concentrated in these game management areas. And that makes sense because when you compare the size of the game management areas to the national parks, it's a mm. little bit different. So the total of 20 national parks only make up a total of um, about 67,000 square kilometers. And then, uh, okay. yeah, and then when you look at the 36 game management areas, they make up about 167 square kilometers so it's very much wide on the community Mm. side and that is where much of the community conservation programs are actually happening so we have uh, the cbnri model also helping to ensure that communities are participating and because they love wildlife Mm. it's it's their heritage it's their capital so they take care of it there's a high sense of stewardship towards wildlife and learning from what really happened during the massive poaching crisis that happened between the 1940s and 1970s. Mm. It actually hit uh, much of the African countries and Zambia was not excluded. I think this taught um, our policymakers a lesson to actually ensure that uh, they bring in communities, they bring in people at the center of the conservation model so that they can be helping to protect wildlife. So people generally love wildlife, they value it, and when they get some benefits from it, it increases the sense of stewardship because the incentive motivates everybody to actually continue conserving and protecting wildlife. So you said like, you know, people live in these areas, they're living and coexisting with wildlife, which is something as well in, in England Again, to make that kind of comparison, I don't think we fully know how to do that yet. Actually, I'm going to correct myself. We don't know how to do that yet. (laughs) We don't know how to coexist with wildlife. Some of us do. There's some pockets, but I think we've got a lot of work to do on that before we bring back some of our lost species. Um, What kind of animals are we talking here in Zambia? What kind of animals are people living side on side with? Oh, we boast to have among us what you call, the world calls the big five. So we have elephants, we have lions, we have giraffes, we have buffaloes, we have hippos, and we also have rhinos that are still in protection, like heavy protection, because they are a special species to the whole Mm. world, and many others. And uh, the population is actually stable and increasing, especially in some key species, for instance, Zambia actually boasts to have the world's largest population of hippos. So when you come to the Luangwa River, it's actually the one that is heavily populated. The total population for Zambia alone is about 45,000 hippos. And that's the world's largest population for hippos. Wow, that's that's amazing. But that's, you know, I, I hear that in two two ways. I hear that as in that's incredible to have that biodiversity. But also when you're saying people are coexisting next to these animals, I, I also find it, I, I don't know, incredible that people are, are able to. Like that must come with its own challenges for communities, right? It is. It is. It is a big uh, challenge because coexistence with uh, wildlife comes with its own costs. 
mainly because of human wildlife conflict. There is constant competition for mm. for resources and in most cases ends up in human loss. In most cases, of course, it would be crop damage, maybe damage to to the houses or infrastructure yeah. and other buildings that are there. But there are also times, peak times when we have a lot of people being killed by elephants, especially when crops are growing because mm. communities want to go and protect their plants. They want to go and protect their maize. They want to go and guard it. But the elephant also sees that as easy feed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So human-wildlife conflict is on another level than hippos who also and crocodiles who also fight, fight for access for water sources because people in other areas of Zambia depend on fishing. In other areas, they would the easy access they have to drinking water is through a river. And some of right. those rivers are infested with crocodiles. So I get sad when I talk about yeah, I, I <laughs> the don't, death part you know of what, human wildlife conflict. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't blame you. It's, it's, it's a very heavy and emotional thing to talk about. Um, yeah, but... And, you know, we don't have to sit on that long, but it is, yeah. it's a very real situation. I think that, I think you've made that incredibly clear, what you've just said. Yeah. <laughs> like and, there is, it's yeah. very, very real. And what makes it hard is that uh, it's not an easy thing to deal with for the community and also for our governments because there's no... Mm -hmm proper compensation policy. So the only thing that can be done to the communities is some sort of relief to be provided. And um, this is where we actually appreciate and recognize the role that the CBNRI model is playing mm. in conservation because it is the incentives that come from CBNRI practices that at least provide relief to the communities. Yeah. So, for instance, to be more specific, when there's a funeral, the community resources boards make some contributions to cover the cost of a funeral. Or in cases where there's some crop damage or constant threats of wildlife getting into the stock for food, mm. the community resources board will provide some control measures through maybe buying some fireworks i don't know what you call them here in the yeah, UK, yeah. So but some just deterrence <laughs> yeah some deterrence to scare away mm. and then a few initiatives are also being implemented to to deter some elephants and other species from invading households or fields for people sometimes it's through some sort of fencing sometimes it's through chili fencing or building up stronger grain storages that cannot be easily destroyed by, by wildlife. So community-based resources management is providing the relief because people still love the wildlife. They still see some value coming from it. Mm. So they can't just kill it. They'll preserve it. Yeah, abso ab absolutely. And so, so let's change because obviously that's a very heavy topic. We've gone on to that mm. quite quick and it's quite heavy and I don't want, I don't want you to feel the need to sit in that for too exactly. long, but let's, so out, you know, you grew up in Zambia out of the species. I mean, you named, you said you've got the top five or what we call the big five. Yeah. But out of all the species, is there a species or an animal in Zambia that you absolutely love to see? Is there an animal that means a lot to you? Do you have a favorite? I do. I love 
I love the sebo antelope. I I nice. I I love it. I feel like it's nicely and marvelously designed. It's very beautiful. I love looking mm. at it. Yeah. I can get several pictures of it whenever I go out on a game drive. Yeah. I yeah. really love it. That's your favorite. Nice, nice. And in England, we speak of lots of community conservation. And here on Into the Wild, we've learned how Namibia has built that method. Namibia has got, the, as, as many Southern African countries have the, I can never get that acronym right, the Community-Based Natural Resource Management Program. So Namibia has that. You've got a similar system. How long has Zambia had that as a structure? And how has it grown? As it, you know, What have the successes been? And what have the challenges that you've had in putting that kind of system into place? Okay, first of all, I must acknowledge that Zambia lent the CBNRM model from what was being done in Zimbabwe in the campfire initiative mm -hmm. model. So some lessons were picked from there and of course from the Namibian model to actually pilot in Zambia. So actually we didn't even have, up to now we still do not have a CBNRM policy but the first wildlife act which came into place in the between 1980s and 1990s is mm -hmm. the one that paved way for government to actually bring communities closer and start participating in uh, wildlife conservation so the pilot program that was done was in uh, the chiefdoms that are in what we call the Luangwa Valley Mm -hmm. in the famous Mfuwe, which is in the eastern part of Zambia. This model was practiced or implemented in such a way that it ensured that revenue was going to a household level. And apart from that, it ensured that the governance structure was actually recognizing the role that people at household level have. So it was a bottom-up approach, which was structured in form of what we call village action groups. Mm -hmm. And then from there, the village action groups would meet at the village level with their headmen and everybody in the community to discuss what their priorities are, how much they want to contribute towards what projects, and how they want to spend the revenue that has been generated. So this model has been evolving. Mm. Of course, thanks to the Wildlife Act of 2015, which even strengthened it and formed paved way for the formation of what we call the Community Resources Board, which mm -hmm. build on to the practices of ensuring that village action groups are participating and are feeding into the community level. So now we have across the country about uh, 80 community resources boards, unlike wow. the pilot, which was just in uh, seven chiefdoms. But now these 80 community resources boards are across 80 different chiefdoms. Of course, these chiefdoms are spaced in different landscapes that are having um, biodiversity that might be a little bit varying. Mm. And then some are in prime areas where they have um, thriving and probably increasing wildlife populations. Others are in secondary areas where they have they still have to put in much efforts to ensure that um, the populations are increasing. But 
generally the CBNRM model has had success in ensuring that communities are being put at the center of decision-making. They have yeah. a say in what is happening and at the end of the day, they are getting a benefit. So when it comes to benefit sharing, we have a mechanism in Zambia that ensures that communities are getting a 50% of revenue that is generated from um, sustainable utilization of wildlife through hunting. And then they are also entitled to a percentage from the hunting safari companies, which is called concession fees. Mm. Of course, this has to be realized through some statutory instruments, which is like uh, a lower level of um, some legislation that is done uh, within Zambia. But of course, the system is not very perfect. We keep on working to improve it because there has been some challenges here and there. For instance, sometimes because um, the community revenue is received in a pool fund, which is uh, in the government coffers. So sometimes there are delays in when that money is sent to the communities and those delays affect the operations of the community resources boards. And, you know, these are important entities at a community level when we yeah, talk yeah. about when we talk about uh, conservation, because even when you just look at how much workforce they have in law enforcement, they have employed more community scouts compared to how many wildlife police officers the government has employed to actually monitor and fight against poachers to protect the wildlife. So they constantly need their share of the revenue to actually keep on protecting wildlife and to also keep on employing people from the community and seeing that they are mm. realizing the benefits and changing the attitude of the community towards towards wildlife conservation. We also have some uh, policy issues that we keep fighting internally but with the aim of improving the whole business and how it is done. Yeah, that's what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> there's you loads, know, but Yeah, it's... yeah, there's a lot. And you know, when you start talking about CBNRIM, like <laughs> so much information but it must be, comes in it must at be the same different time. Every, every kind of... Um, every area or every um, concession you go to must be completely different with its challenges you know, there's probably similarities, but like you said, with with having different wildlife or different strongholds, there must be different successes and different challenges in each area of Zambia you go. Yes, they they, they are differences because the ones that are having higher wildlife populations, of course, it's easy for them to do conservation business. Mm. They'll do the community development projects very well. They'll pay their community scouts very well. So wildlife monitoring will continue happening very well. But on the other hand, those who are struggling, it's like much of their effort goes mm. into resource protection and also maybe regeneration, ensuring that they reintroduce maybe some species or maybe they protect what has remained to ensure that they can see some sort of increase. And I must mention that it's not all the community areas that are actually having active hunting blocks. So not all of them generate revenue through mm. hunting. Some of them are still dependent on um, revenue from tourism. 
and others depend on support from CBNRM related projects that are happening with support from NGOs and uh, some uh, civil society organizations. Hey, sorry to interrupt the episode, Nature Nerds. It's Ryan, your host here. I just want to give you a quick shout out about something. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, accessible for everyone. However, running it is not free. If you would like to support Into the Wild and say thanks, then you can do so by visiting ko-fi.com forward slash into the wild pod. The link is in the write up of this episode. By doing this and buying us a coffee, you are helping the future of Into the Wild. Thanks very much and back onto the show. Because you said something interesting when we we're talking about the split and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much because it's very easy to mm. do so when we're talking about hunting and, and, and we don't want to kind of label the whole podcast that. But when we're mm. talking about the 50% community share and then a certain percentage from hunting concessions going to communities, how does that compare when we look at ecotourism or photo tourism in Zambia? Is it pretty much the same kind of systems in place? So we have a draft statutory instrument that mm. will actually legalize or get us to realize what shares communities can get from photographic tourism. Yeah, and our hope is that at the end of the day, when this statutory instrument is finally approved by our government, communities will get a 50% from all revenue streams. That comes from uh, live capture of wildlife from one area to another, concession fees, and then trophy hunting, photographic tourism, also land user fees, especially Mm. for areas that are having active uh, tourism in terms of lodges and the like, non-consumptive tourism to be specific. Yeah, so trying to get that as a baseline of 50% across the board. Yes, of right. course, of course, um, because I'm a community representative in Zambia and I've been working at a national level to actually coordinate the communities in uh, a national association. So through that association, what we were pushing for is actually a higher percentage. But um, mm. like I mentioned, this um, instrument is not yet approved. So we are still hoping that we could have some negotiation platform and ensure that it's a little bit higher, especially for the concession fees, because we feel that concession fees um, in a much practical example, like I have my piece of land and then somebody is coming to hunt on my piece of land. I'm giving them the rights. So I should get a higher percentage than any other third party. So we are hoping that for concession fees, the communities can get much higher if not 80%, then at least even 100%. But of course, this is subject to internal negotiations with our government and also looking at um, other factors that come into play. It's very motivating to know that these conversations are going on, though, because it's very easy, I think, from people on uh, social media level to just reporting level. You know, we, we see the data, we see the percentage across across the board, across mm. any kind of use, and we go, well, communities get this, and then then we just draw, we we pin it on that number. You know, as you're saying here, well, you know, we're we're in the process of negotiating the <laughs> fees, and hopefully this can change. And it's very good to know that um, a system. You know, in any country, I'm sure many countries are the same, but it's, it's nice to hear that in Zambia, these things are being challenged and, and mm. trying to be sorted. 
do you I, I don't I hadn't planned on asking you this Bupe. I hope you don't mind me asking if you do just say shut up Brian and we can move on <laughs> but some like you know I've heard people and on social media and I, I've I've people have said it to me in, in criticism and I don't share this view and, and I can say into the world doesn't share this view but people criticize community-based natural resource programs they say they're not good for communities they say you know, it's it's kind of got a Western or sustainable use has got this kind of colonial, I don't know what the right words are, just colonial feel about it, I guess, or it's just colonialism. How, how how do you respond to that on behalf of kind of representing communities in Zambia? Well, since you also don't share that view, then I must begin by telling you and others <laughs> <laughs> that what we share and what we talk about with regards community-based natural resources management are not myths. These are lived realities. Mm -hmm. I would actually be very happy if we had a scenario where maybe some journalists actually made a trip to Southern mm -hmm. Africa, went to other countries that are practicing CBNRIM, had interviews with people on the ground, have interviews with people who are working with community-based organizations, either at a national level or from the government, and get the facts right. It's actually disheartening to hear people criticize the whole model instead of providing solutions on how to improve its weaknesses. Because when you go on the ground, the general feeling from people in the community is that they are better off getting a slice of bread than nothing at all. So, for instance, if you argue with me that trophy hunting <laughs> <laughs> creates little incentives or little benefits for the communities, then what are you bringing on board to replace that? Because... Mm. I'm talking about a community member in Nawalia Chiefdom of Zambia whose child is only able to go to school because revenue from trophy hunting facilitated the building of a small block of a school, which is still more than three miles for the child to walk to that school. Mm. A woman who has to walk more than three miles to go to a clinic just to go and give birth. But then here is revenue from, let's say, sustainable utilization of wildlife. Mm. It goes to the community through CBNRIM, and CBNRIM has built a mother's shelter. So there's a lot that is happening on the ground that people should actually look at before criticizing. It might not be 100% perfect, it might not give each household the thousands of dollars that you expect to see, but at the end of the day, it's better than nothing. And it's better than the option that these critics are actually offering because the only option critics are offering is noise on the international media platforms and nothing tangible on the ground. So I would really love some journalists to actually visit these countries that are practicing to get the real stories so that maybe we can contribute to changing the narrative. Of course, I have encountered critics who want to compare 
Southern Africa to other African countries that are practicing tourism. But do they sit down and put into consideration what really made those countries go into uh, full-time tourism? Dynamics are different on the ground. It's not every piece of land that would be conducive for tourism or conducive for hunting. Landscapes are different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we still have pristine national parks. We still have pristine lands and spaces that can support sustainable utilization. And if the model has made sure that it sends benefits to communities, it finances conservation, then why should you shoot it down if you can't offer any alternative that is equal Mm. to that or even more than that? Ryan, I'll end here. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say, Bupe, I just want to thank you for being yourself in that answer because you were so... I mean, I, I mean, I'm just going to take my hat off to you because, yeah, you're spot on. I, I'm, I'm stood right behind you with that answer, and I, I think you, and like I said at the beginning of that question, I do not share the views of those critics. However, I have now just accepted a formal invitation to Zambia. Thank you very much, Bupe. Please do so. Please do so. And when you, and when you do visit, I would urge you to go to the villages themselves. Oh, hundreds. Yeah. I would, I would do anything. Yeah. For that. If anyone out, if anyone's listening with money, <laughs> well, <laughs> you just pass it my way. <laughs> and for the record, it's not like when we support trophy hunting, then we mm. hate animals, or maybe the people we represent, the communities, hate uh, animals. No, they love it, mm. and that's the reason why they are sustainably managing it because they yeah. know that tomorrow they want their grandchildren to also benefit. So it's about sustainable utilization. That's yeah. the principle that we use. And that's why we follow the regulated one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I want to briefly talk about the Community Leaders Network as well, because you, you know, you're a big part of the Zambia is part of this. Can you explain what CLN is? What is this organization? So the Community Leaders Network represents about nine Southern African countries coming together to build a strong community voice that would represent what the communities want on a regional and international level. So its membership uh, cuts across Zambia, Zimbabwe, Malawi, Angola, Botswana, Namibia, South Africa, Tanzania, and Mozambique. So Mm. it was formally uh, registered under the Namibian law in 2021. Ever since, we have been aiming to amplify the community voices in policy-making events at a regional level and at an international level. Now, CLN is very well-structured, and I really love talking about it because it builds itself from national CBNRIM associations and forums. Mm -hmm. So earlier on, I talked about uh, a national voice in Zambia that represents communities, So that national association is a member of CLN. And we have similar associations in all these nine countries that actually brings together a stronger community voice. So together we represent more than 12,000 rural community people in uh, policy events such as IUCN, CITES, CBD, and any other events. And then at a national level, through the associations, we continue engaging our governments. Amazing. And what is your role within CLN? What do, what do you do? 
So I don't have a specific position, but I'm an active member of the network right. who is a youth voice. So when you see me speaking in these international <laughs> events, don't freak out. I'm just bringing not only <laughs> the community voice, but also a youth perspective to yeah. what CBNRIM is because our aim is to see resilient communities in Southern Africa whose rights mm. to natural resources management and utilizations is respected at all levels, national, regional, and international. Amazing. Amazing. It's, it's been yeah. so nice um, on a personal level to learn more about CLN and, and meet people, different people that work in or involved with the organization. I, I'm a big fan of what they do. And it's just been incredible to learn more about them. And to people listening, I would encourage you to look up Community Leaders Network and just read about the work that they're doing. Bupe, your last question. Now, usually on the show, I would ask a guest, if you could pass on one bit of advice or advise someone to do something to connect with the natural world, what would you say? But I've changed yours slightly, if you don't mind. I'm going to ask you, if you could pass on one piece, piece of advice to people in England about our mindsets in conservation, what would you say? I would say I totally respect their views on conservation in Africa, but, don't, <laughs> but, for the but. <laughs> don't speak and decide for Africa without Africa. I know that sounds a little bit strong, but I would go on to say, please visit Africa and see what it is like to live in the same landscape with an mm. elephant. Yeah. Because only then will you understand why we do what we do. And most well, importantly, respect our rights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the top. <laughs> yeah, respect our <laughs> rights the same way we respect yours. Because I'll never make a decision or go on social media and say what England should do with their rabbits. Oh dear, all the rabbits. <laughs> no, I'll never do that. I'll leave it up to them. <laughs> Pupe, thank you so much yeah. for being on the show. It's It's been lovely to chat with you and hear more about um, Zambia, this beautiful country. So yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. And I hope you have a very pleasant, if not formal evening this evening. All right. Thank you so much for hosting me. And I hope you'll get to visit Zambia and other Southern African countries. Oh, God, me too. It's, it's now directly on my list. <laughs> Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the guests that have appeared in today's Into the Wild episode, then you can do so on social media. Their tags are in the write-up of this episode. Also, you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, however running it is not free. If you'd like to support us and say thanks, then you can do so by buying me a coffee. Our Ko-fi link is in the write-up of this episode. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.